goodness. So today we are starting a brand, a brand new series called uh, Bridging uh, the Gap. I shared briefly the week before um, about a little bit about where that came from and, and why um, and how God gave that to me several years ago and how it came together. Well, and it was about 2019. It was before, uh, actually, I think it was before Karis was born. And I was still serving in, uh, Zeph- at this church in Zephyr Hills as the assistant pastor. And I began to feel God pulling on my heart for this, this idea of bridging the gaps. But at that point, I didn't really have anything for that. I didn't know what exactly that meant. I didn't know what he was doing or why. And I remember at that point, we were kind of at the point where we, just, we, were begin to, we began to feel, felt that our time there was coming to an end. And so we began asking God, you know, well, what is next for our family? What are we supposed to do? And, you know, when I went there, it was with, to uh, partner with them, uh, the pastor there for a vision that he had had for uh, campus ministries. And during that, as we begin to pursue well, what does the campus look like and what would God want us to have on a campus, we began looking, we began to realize that we wanted to do something different. We didn't want to just do, do something that reflected exactly what was in the church that we were at, but we wanted something that would more reflect God's kingdom, in a, not, not to say that what they were doing weren't reflecting God's kingdom, but looking at the book of Revelation where it talks about the nations and tongues gathering together to worship God in every tongue where you see all nations in the presence of God worshiping together. And so we began asking God, you know, well, is it, are we supposed to be doing this? How are we going to do this? What does this even look like? But what ended up happening is as God gave us this uh, uh, br- bridging the gap vision, what we also came to realize is... Uh, Right around that, right after Karis was born, and even before that, and then the pandemic hit. So then we ended up staying there a little longer, still not sure what was next. And as we were pursuing and looking, it felt like we were in a, a waiting season where we just we felt like we felt like we were ready for what was next, but God didn't think so. And you know, when I look back at it today, I'm glad that he that we were in the waiting season because if we had jumped ahead of him we would not be here today and so what he showed us is that when we wait on him and allow his timing to make things happen instead of us trying to do things our way is it works out much better than us rushing ahead of him and that and that's hard to do because when he gave us this, we began to kind of look for where that would fit. We began to look for places like, well, what are we supposed to do with it? And are there any specific places, specific cities and things like that that would fit this, this vision? And so when I, so then I began to kind of ask myself these different questions. I, one of the things I began to look at in the, and I observe in the way of the church, not just one church, but really the capital C church as a whole, 
is the way the church acts in our current culture. And at the time, there was a, you know, a lot, we've, we're seeing the results of a lot of different things that have happened in the last couple of years. Even some of them just seems like they've happened in the last couple of years, but really they've just been slowly brewing under the surface until finally they reached the boiling point. What I found is that it seems like something was lacking, like there were gaps that just do nothing that forced me to ask questions. One of those questions being, what has the church as a whole been doing that our world, our country has gotten this crazy? In a country that's supposed to be a, a Christian country, but the values of our culture do not reflect God's desires. And then I begin to ask, what are, well, what is the church doing now to help? How has the church in some ways, you know, been representing Christ, but in, in other ways, misrepresenting Christ to our cultures? Sometimes we take things upon ourselves to do that God did not give us to do, the uh, missions to do. And we want to see our culture get better. We want to see things get better, but sometimes we go about it the wrong way. We think by gaining more power that we'll be able to make things better. Instead of presenting the gospel, instead of presenting Jesus to people, we try to, present, we try to use power to make things happen. And so I begin to ask myself, then, if we have been misrepresenting Christ in many cases, then who has the church been emulating? If God, if Paul tells us in Scripture that we are supposed to emulate Christ, if the things that we are doing are not showing Christ to people, then who have we been showing to people? There's only, one or there's only two ways about it. You're either showing Christ to people or you sh you're living in a worldly way that, show, that just goes with, along with what everybody else is doing. And over the years, you know, a lot of churches have stayed the same and, and have begun, I've grown stagnant. Now, that's not to say that, you know, that in every area that you go into that it's, every church is going to look the same because that's not possible. Because for me, I was born and raised in Haiti. You're not going to find a multicultural church in Haiti. Let's be real. Like 99% of people of us, is, we're, it's black. And so to find a multicultural ch church there would be probably like 0.00001% maybe if it even exists. And so there are places in the world where it's difficult to have a multicultural setting because you don't have that many different group of people because it, it, just doesn't, it just hasn't happened. And there are places where we have missionaries that goes in and they share the gospel. But even then, you're still sharing to a group of people. But at the same time, you're not going to find a whole lot of people of your culture there because you're entering into somebody else's culture to preach the gospel to them and to show them Jesus. But if you look at this country, you have a lot of different nations represented. Like You cannot ignore that fact. They're everywhere you look, 
Like even in this room, we have different nations, different from people from different groups represented right now. And so when you look at the book of Revelation, and then you look at a lot of churches, and especially in the American church, you, what you find is a lot of times there's one group that's dominant in a church. Sometimes that's because that's when the church started, you know, over time you got the older generation, it stays, and, you know, sometimes the church does not grow with this community. And so they lose sight of the mission of reaching out to people. And so what happens is, as they, as they get older and older, you end up with an older congregation, and then, because they're not doing too much to reach out to their community or they haven't adapted to their community, then what happens if you don't have new families and new people come in? Well, if the church will in, more than likely end up dying out because as they're not getting any younger. And so when the older generation dies out and, no, and there's nothing new, new life in the church, what ends up happening is the church itself sometimes gets closed down because there's not a whole lot they can do with it. And sometimes, too, what you find is there's disgruntled where people don't get along and they can't agree with how to do church. And so you people separate and decide they're going to start church one way and then church, church this way. You can have a straight-up contemporary or a straight-up traditional. There's all these different things that we've allowed to get in the middle of what church is supposed to be. But what we forget is a lot of those things are man-made traditions. And so we allow man-made tradition to dictate how God's church should be. That's not to say you can't, I believe you can have both a mixture of traditional and contemporary. You can have the older generation and the younger generation in the same building. But they both have to be willing to actually work together and get along and learn from one another. Because if you try to force these things and try to force things like that, what ends up happening is nobody's happy. But, another, but what you also end up doing is you make it about yourselves. Instead of it being about God, it becomes about you and about what you like. Well, I don't like the way we do this song. I don't like the way we never do this song. I don't like the way the carpet look. I don't like the chairs. I don't like. There's lots of different arguments you find in the church, and then you go, you know, Jesus went around preaching the gospel without these chairs. He stood in a boat to preach to thousands of people. And yet, some, we allow these simple things to destroy what God has created. We allow these simple things to create divides in the church when there should be none. Because we've held them at a position where it shouldn't be, where instead of our focus being on God, our focus becomes, well, you can't have this here. You can't have that there. The chair should be arranged this way. There's too much gap, not enough gap. Like, come on. Those things are things that we allow to divide the church. But that's not what the church is supposed to be about. If our mission is to reach out to the lost and to preach the gospel, then you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. 
You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone to go after people. We have expectations of how things will go. We have expectations. I have expectations of how things should go. We have expectation of what ministries should look like, but it doesn't always turn out the way we imagine it will. And then when you think about different ministries like children's ministry or uh, youth ministries, all these different things that we do, and then you bring that you, those youth inside the building that have maybe never been to church before, you cannot hold them to the same expectations that you would a child that grew up in the church all their lives. Because that's, they've had, not had the experience of coming to church and knowing what that means. Like, that doesn't mean you don't set things in place that you say, you know, it's not okay to do this. It's not okay to do this. This is not acceptable. This is why we don't do this. And you explain to them those things and you let God transform them. But to come right out and basically place these unrealistic expectation on people that have never been to church is not going to go anywhere. In order to reach people that have never been to church before, we have to remember that they don't hold the church building or even church as a whole to the same value, the same level that we do. And a lot of times, they're not going to come inside the building. And I love that we do events to reach out to our community and to do so. And one of my hope and prayers is that in the future when we do events is we would also present the gospel in a way that even if those people never set foot in this building, they will have heard the message of God preached to them. And so that means that we have to be purposeful, even no matter how many people we invite, you know, we have to think, yes, God's going to bring people, but at the same time, we have to do our part to share the gospel. And so if we do things in different events with the mindset of these people may not ever step foot in this building, but they're willing to come at least and step foot on the property, well, why wait for them to come in the building to preach the gospel. Let's preach the gospel right out there outside and while they're right there hanging out, having a good time. See, we have to think outside the box if we're going to reach people for Christ. But we also have to understand and not hold the expectation that every single one of them are going to come into this building. So a lot of things that we do, we have to think conventionally, but even unconventionally, because not everything is going to work out the way we want it to. See, God opened my heart and opened my eyes to see that there's still gaps within the church. There's still separation. There's still brokenness, things that we allow to divide us. And some of the gaps you find missing sometimes is there's a generational gap. Sometimes in the church, what you find, as I said before, you found there's, it's heavier in one generation than it is the other. And then there are times where you find economic gaps, where you have more of one group than you do the other. But we have to remember that you have to preach the gospel to all people whether they're rich, poor, middle class, no matter where they are in life, we are to preach the gospel to them. 
We should never get to a point where we think that a certain group of people in life stage doesn't really need it because they seem to have it all together. Because if money made everything better, would we, wouldn't we all be doing much better? And then there are cultural gaps. As I shared before, I grew up in a completely different culture until I was about 12 years old, which is when, I, when we moved here to the U.S. And so my culture growing up was different than what I experienced when I moved here to the U.S. at 12 years old. I left all of my friends that I grew up with when we moved, so I had to make new friends. I had to learn a new language. I had to adapt to a culture where it was brand new to me. But we, uh, what we also have, there's, also, there's the world, worldly culture and there's the, what's supposed to be the church's culture. And so today I'm gonna be look, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 19 through 20, and that's where we're going to focus in for the next couple of weeks. But before we go into that, I want to look at Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 14, and it's going to be up there, and it's, I'm reading the NLT version. Because I think it's important that we look at the chapter before that chapter we'll be focusing on to know what, was going, what Paul was talking about before we go into chapter 2. And so it says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, which none of us in here as far as I know are, are Jews, we're the first to trust in Christ. We're the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, which would be pretty much all of us in here who are not Jews, have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. And so Paul is teaching the church of Ephesus and reminding them now that God or Jesus died on the cross and through that, through His blood, He has purchased not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so when he was going around preaching the gospel to, to Gentile nations. In Ephesians 1.23, it says, And the church is his body, and it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So Paul wanted them to understand why they follow Jesus. He wanted them to know why they are to put their trust in God, why they are to glorify Him in all that they do. In Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11, if you, you can go ahead and go to that one, it says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now, Paul uses a lot of harsh language sometimes. If you, ever, if you ever pay attention, especially in this one, it says, You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcisions even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Now, circumcision is something that God had told the Israelites that they were supposed to do, 
and it was a sign it was a sign of the covenant that he had made with Abraham now through Jesus his coming he made a new covenant with us which would be which means that the covenant of circumcision was no longer necessary but what happened was the Jews had taken that covenant that had been given of circumcision which was supposed to be a sign of of their obedience to God and them doing so, what they did, it, they made it what it wasn't supposed to be. And so they would use it against people. They began, that's what they were doing here. They were using it against the new believers saying, this is, you need to do this to become a follower of God. You need to do this to become part of God's kingdom. But Paul reminds them that even though that the Jews had done the circumcision, it became just that, a tradition. It was no longer about keeping their promise with God. It was more so this was what we were supposed to do. And that's why they fell away from God over and over in the Old Testament. Because they would, even though they did the circumcisions and did all these things, what ended up happening is they would accept the gods of other nations like God had told them not to. And so they would fall away from God. And so through the coming of Christ, that became no longer necessary. And said, if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and you believe in him, then you, know, then you become a new creation in him. And it continues on to say, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups in, to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of, of what Christ had done for us. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. So then why do we have so much division in the church? Because if Christ died so that we could be one in him, and yet we take, the, we take what he's giving us and begin to in, start infighting about the different things as a as body of believers. Where sometimes you have churches that aren't even willing to work together to help their communities because it feel, they make it feel like a competition, but it's not. The God has called us all to a mission. The mission to go and make disciples of all nations, it's for all all of the churches, not just one. And so when he calls us to act as one, he's not talking about when it comes to different issues that we see. No, he's talking about how we act around 
others that don't know Jesus. How we represent the gospel in a way that people want to know who Jesus is. How we live our life in a way and talk in a way that reflects God to others. But how are we going to do those things if we can't even do the same things to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Sometimes the arguments you see on social media are not always between a believer and non-believer. Sometimes it's between two believers. And then you have the world watching to see how you respond, to see the things that you do. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we're living, we should be living in a way because we want, we're trying to please the world because that's not it at all. But you have to think about how your action reflects the gospel, how your action reflects God to people. So that means the way we talk, the way we act, the way we love others cannot just be words. They have to be put into actions. And if you continue on in this passage, still in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are, his, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Now during this time, the Jews, the Gentiles, they were just now starting to get along, at least in this setting, because before then, there was, as I said, there was a separation. They did not associate with one another, but there's also the fact that the Jews were under the Roman rules, which is a Gentile nation, and so it's kind of hard to want to get along with a different group of people when they're holding you captive and keeping you from being able to actually worship freely, from being able to do all the things that you'd like to do. Ooh, and the wall is calling me in the middle of service. So then they had to learn once they accepted Jesus. And when Jesus broke those barriers, that means that all of a sudden you had to look at the people that were tormenting you, the people that were doing you wrong in a different way, and be willing to share the gospel with them. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody does wrong to me, it's hard to look at them and say, I want, you know, I want to see the best for you. I want to see God do this and this for you. More so, I'm like, I go to some of the Psalms that David did where he was like, God, they did me wrong. You saw this. Will you avenge me? But instead, it calls for us to do the opposite, to put aside the hurt and say, this is somebody that God created in his image. And then we begin to think, man, how much different would their lives be if they knew Jesus? How much different would their outlooks on life be, their, the way they act, they talk, would be if they knew Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one that can transform how we talk, that can transform how we act, and how we go about doing everything. See, this church in Ephesus was still a young church, and so there were things that they still didn't know about God. Well, the Jews had 
a relationship with God. They were, this was a new thing for them the, the new, as they're following and learning what, from the apostles what Jesus had taught them. So they're learning this new covenant that has been brought. And then you have the Gentiles who had no relationship with the God that the Jews knew coming in as outsiders. And so now they have to, be, they have to learn more about him. But what is happening is the Jews were trying to also take some of the old traditions and throw it at the Gentiles and telling them they needed to do this if they wanted to have a relationship with God. Sometimes we do similar things in the church where we throw different old, we throw traditions at people rather than gospel. We say you have to do it like this if you want to experience God. You have to worship in this way if you want to experience God, but that's not, that's not how it works. Our, all of our experiences with God when it comes to how you came to know God is different. I know mine is different than, than yours. Some, for some, it was through the hearing of his word and you being called to the altar and you felt God pulling on your heart and you went to the altar and you gave your heart to him. For others, it was their parents leading them to Christ. And so we all have different ways that we came to know Jesus. So then how can we tell new people that are coming in that there's only one way to get closer to God? That there's only one way to experience Him because there's not. We can experience Him through the way we sing because that's us opening ourselves up to Him. We can experience Him through prayer. And we can experience him through just hearing his word or just spending time. And sometimes it's just sitting quietly and listening for God to speak to you. So there's lots of ways to experience God. And we learn more about the church in Ephesus and how Paul has started this church in the book of Acts. Um, if, you wanna, if you wanted to look at that, you can go to Acts chapter 18, verse 19. It's not up there, but then also Acts 19, verse 8 through 10 tells us a little bit more about that church. And it was located in the province of Asia. See, Paul spent a lot of time with this church, and so he was invested in seeing them grow in their faith. In fact, I believe he spent about two years there preaching the gospel and helping people to come to Jesus and to know who Jesus was because there were some people there that were stubborn that didn't want anything to do with that, but he was persistent. And so every day he would go back and he would preach to the people He would until you know, he gathered a group of people that wanted to know more. And so that's how the church in Ephesus began to, to grow. And so... For more context, what you had in that area, you had Jews and Greeks in that area. Now, we know that Gentiles or any and all that were not part of, that were not of Jewish origin. And if you, as I talked about circumcision earlier, if you want to read more about that, you can read more about that as well in Genesis chapter 17, 9 through 14, where it talks more about the covenant, if you wanted to look that up as well. The thing that connects us is Jesus. 
That's why we talk about, that's why we sung that song today about him being our cornerstone because that's where our hope lies. That's who we put our trust in. Everything we do has to go through him. See, by Paul taking the time to tell them more about Jesus, to tell them why they come together, to tell them about what they could experience, he was trying to get them to unite together, not in the way that we think, but to unite with Jesus. He was reminding them that all those things that they think are important to the gospel are not because Christ has made them one and he is ultimately the one that needs to be first in everything. He reminded them that because of Jesus' death, barriers were broken. Barriers that would keep them apart were no longer there. Instead, what Jesus' death did was he reconciled those groups together. He reconciled us to be able to experience him in a new way. And it's important that we know all that because we need to remember what it means for us as believers. Because had the apostles not taken the time to spread the gospel to different nations and different regions, we would not be able to experience what we are experiencing together here today, which is being in His presence and being able to worship freely. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about the. We're going to go through different uh, the different gaps and talk about them a little bit more in depth. I had this application I wanted to do, but I didn't bring any of that stuff because I forgot. So I'll use it next week. But what we need to remember is that. Our hope and our salvation comes from Jesus. We need to make sure that our foundation in Jesus is deep and not shallow. In other words, that we are continuing to grow in our relationship with God. That means we have to put in our effort to read the Bible. That means we have to put in effort to look for ways to personally grow in our relationship with Him. And we need to be reminded that Jesus' death was meant for all of us. Whether you are young or old. Whether you're black, white, rich, poor. Whatever it may be, he broke down all of those barriers so that we could worship together. So then why is the church so filled with gaps? I believe we are going as we I believe God is calling us to more and as a church we're not going to allow or overlook the gaps that are, that we see in the churches. So we're going to when we preach the gospel, when we do things, we're going to do them in a way that we reach out to everyone. Now I'm not the best, I'll be honest, you know, when it comes to going out and talking to people, I am the worst at that. But I believe there's lots of people in here that are so much get more gifted at that than I am. And so clearly, cl clearly God knows what he was doing when he brought you guys here in advance. But there's also, you know, as I said, we all have different 
cultures, we have different things that we experience, even different language, which means that you can talk to people and reach people that I might not be able to. See, English is not my first language, so I speak more than one language. But that also, so I know where my strengths are. But I also know that we have people in here that speak other languages as well. And we get to, you get to use them and you get to communicate with people that you meet. And sometimes not everybody that you meet knows Jesus. And we will do events where people will come that may not speak English. In fact, we, actually we had that, just the last event that we did, we had a gentleman that did not speak English. Thankfully, we had people there that actually could help him. But that's what I mean. We are, we are going to be, we're going to meet people that's going to come to our events that may come just for the fun and not really expecting anything more. But if we are ready, they're going to get so much more than just a hangout because we want to be ready to preach the gospel to them in a way that they understand. And so that's where discipleship has to become an important part of what we do, but also evangelism. That means you have to be willing to talk to people. Now, again, I'm not the best at that, but I forced myself to do it because I believe it's important to, every, to what we do. Because if you're going to reach people, you have to be willing to talk to them. And so that means we all have to do our part to reach out to people. We have to be intentional in how we walk and how we talk and act as Christians. And whatever bias or preference that we carry has to be left before Christ. And so I would encourage you this week that you would seek after God and ask Him in what ways am I allowing my personal preferences to get in the way with he desires to do. Not necessarily here, but in your everyday life. In what ways am I allowing things to get in the way of how God wants to use me? In what ways have I allowed myself to kind of to be closed-minded to the things that God could do through me? To be closed-minded to how He could use me in whatever settings that I'm in. And that will look different for each of you. And that's okay. But he called all of us to be a part of what he's doing. And we all have an assignment, whether we realize it or not, to be examples to others, but to also share the gospel.